This is the California Liberty Project Podcast. Welcome back to the California Liberty Project Podcast. This is the post-election, essentially wrap-up episode. We're going to get into um, some of what happened, some of what happened here in California, a little bit around the nation, because um, why not? You know, everyone's talking about it. There's a lot going on with that. Um, In just a little bit, too, we have the honor of speaking with Kira Davis. Now, we actually recorded this part of the podcast with Kira several days ago. It's actually on Monday, right before the election. And we had a really good chat. Um, she was really busy, but I appreciated her time in uh, taking, you know, 25, 30 minutes to speak with us. And I look forward to having Kira back on the podcast again. But we're going to get to that shortly. Right now, we're going to kind of um, summarize, you know, I've got a few thoughts, of course, on the election here in California, here around the nation. Um, There's been a lot that's happened, of course. Everyone is talking about those election deniers. Everyone is talking about the lack of a red wave, the red trickle. What about the red tsunami that never happened? Um, Of course, there is the Florida... Miracle, the Florida tsunami, that was the red wave, as it turns out. It was the DeSantis wave in Florida. And that entire tsunami occurred there. That is an incredible success story. Um, Maybe you'll chat about that a little bit. Everyone's talking about this Trump versus DeSantis thing. And again, California Liberty Project, we're not necessarily a national show. um, Or, you know, we don't focus on those national issues. Even as we continue to, to grow, we're really more focused typically on um, some of the strategy and tactics here in California that activists are looking at using, things that we're talking about in California. But we got to mention a little bit of what happens nationally. And, um, you know, this Trump versus DeSantis thing, now Trump is inserting himself Uh, before the primary has even begun for 2024. It's almost like a form of jealousy. I don't know what's going on. He's getting in there, um, kind of throwing some little barbs at DeSantis, some little shots over at DeSantis. And, um, you know, people are lining up in camps. I really don't think it's a good thing. It plays right into the Democrats' hands. They would love to see those in the Republican Party and conservatives in general sniping at each other, turning this into a zero-sum game of Trump, the Trump camp versus the DeSantis camp. And it really doesn't have to be or shouldn't be that way. Um, And I think Trump should really be careful because a lot of conservatives and libertarian-leaning conservatives are probably going to be favoring DeSantis. That that is my sense. Certainly. you know, after a lot of things that happened with Trump during COVID, Operation Warp Speed, uh, criticizing Governor Kemp and others for opening up too early, stuff like that. It's going to be really interesting to see how people uh, react to this, uh, the Trump attacks. I, I think it's really not smart. I don't think Trump should be doing it, going after DeSantis. And we're going to see how that plays out um, because it's not a good idea in my opinion right now. But here in California, we've got this crazy, ridiculous, almost caveman era style of counting, similar to what's happening in Arizona, apparently, where we're just looking at weeks and weeks of counting. You know, no one knows what's happening. They're just counting, you know, one ballot every five minutes or whatever it is. Um, They got cavemen back there um, counting this with little tally marks and whatnot. It's absolute insanity. We can't get a lot of these close races figured out. Now, of course, there are a lot of results here in California that are already known. Um, Newsom, you know, unfortunately, but unsurprisingly, has beaten um, Brian Dolly. Newsom won pretty handily, but it was not the route that a lot of people were thinking there would be here in California. So Newsom came down with 57.8% of the vote. This is with about 60% allegedly of the votes counted. Newsom at 57.8%, Dolly at about 42.2%, and there's more to come on that. But this is not the total route that people were expecting. You know, this is not a 65 
to 35 kind of win, at least yet. You know, I realize almost 40% of the votes are still out there. But um, that was interesting. We had a bunch of propositions, you know, some of which I were I, I was happy, you know, came in as no. Um, prop one, though, notably, the unrestricted right to, quote, reproductive freedom, end quote. Or in other words, um, the so-called right to uh, murder unborn children in the womb for any and all reasons up to the moment of birth, that has been passed. So abortion fanaticism has been, um, has been increased, if you could believe that. They've uh, put the pedal to the metal with Prop 1, and California just had to, to virtue signal. Apparently now, though, with a lot of these propositions um, that have gone on around the country on various ballots, Abortion now will be taken off the ballot, and I'm sure Democrats and left liberals are going to try to continue flogging and taking advantage of abortion and the abortion issue. Certainly, they'll probably never let it go. But really, for all intents and purposes, at least in the so-called blue states, you would think the issue is off the table. Um, I don't think you can get any more radical here in California now that Prop 1 has been passed. Um, It's awful. I think we need to fight it. We need to fight at the ballot box. We need to get this um, repealed. We need to do everything we can to protect the lives of the unborn here. But for right now, the fanatical pro-abortion crowd, I mean, what else could they want? So this this can't be turned into an issue to motivate their 21-year-old, purple-haired, nose-ring voters um, anymore. I wouldn't think so. But we'll see how much they can continue pushing this issue. So around California, too, there were several, you know, kind of really interesting congressional district races, you know, for the House. Um, Some of these are actually making it onto kind of national watch lists, national news. Um, Go through those really quickly, just a few of those. District 22 um, in Central California in the San Joaquin Valley. Um, Right now, Republican David Valadeo, who, remember, was kind of an anti-Trumper, or he voted, I believe, for inch impeachment. Valadeo is currently leading Rudy Salas, like 52.5 to 47.5%. In District 27, with like 61% reporting. Uh, Mike Garcia, I think down in the Santa Clarita um, area. Mike Garcia is beating um, his opponent, uh, Smith. So that's like 56% to 44%. That one's interesting. Garcia is the incumbent. In District 35, Um, I think it's Mike Cargyle, the Republican, is down 44% to Torres, 56%. And then there are some interesting Orange County districts. Those appear to be going uh, Republican right now. District 40 is going with Young Kim um, with like 60-something percent reporting as of Friday night. We have, um, I think, Michelle Steele is up over Chen in Orange County. And then there's that District 47 race which had uh, little Katie Porter, the Democrat um, from Irvine, of all places, a Democrat. About 64% of those votes are in or counted or whatever. And Katie Porter is up 51 to 49 over Scott Baugh. And like I say, nationally, a lot of these races are being looked at because the so-called red wave for whatever that was supposed to be, whatever that was sold as, it hasn't materialized. So now people are looking at these pathetic clown show states where it takes them weeks and weeks to count ballots versus a well-run state by a boss like, say, Ron DeSantis. Places that are competently run, such as Florida, who actually cleaned up some of their electoral processes, um, you know, they've got their ballots counted. The election results come in um, late Tuesday night the way it's always been here in America. And no, it is not normal to have weeks and weeks of counting with these uh, permanent mail-in and early and absentee ballots. No, that is not normal. Don't buy the propaganda. And I'm sure many of you or all of you don't. Nobody buys that. We were alive more than two years ago. We know how it always went. National elections, state elections, we always had results late that night. Now, yeah, there were occasional outliers. The most notable one was Florida back in uh, 2000. But for the most part, 99% of the time, you got those results. They came in. Um, None of the the chicanery, none of the um, 
the mischief, potential mischief. None of that could take place because you had to get those results counted and in, and there was accountability to these local elections officials. Now Maricopa County and places like that, certainly California, they just grant themselves weeks and weeks uh, to go ahead and count those ballots and do whatever. And things trickle in and people you know, keep refreshing their browser trying to figure out what happened. But eventually, um, we do find out the winners of these races. But it's very anticlimactic. And actually, it is problematic. More than just the TV show aspect of it, where we want our winners. You know, it's exciting to find out on election night who's actually won. Beyond just that, we need to to be able to get these things sorted out and finalized. And we need to avoid the even the appearance of incompetence and impropriety in these elections. That's very important. Um, and right now in California and, again, Maricopa County, where Carrie Lake is waiting on pins and needles, you know, waiting to, to surge ahead of what's-her-face, uh, Katie Hobbs. Um, we're waiting on, on news from there. And then also tonight, unfortunately, it looks like Blake Masters, you know, everyone's calling this race against Blake Masters, who was uh, an excellent senatorial candidate out of Arizona, as, as you all know. Blake Masters would have joined the Senate as kind of a Rand Paul type senator. Um, he would have been, been really good. Unfortunately, everyone's calling this race and supposedly he lost to the abysmal puppet of Biden, Mark Kelly. So that's kind of some breaking news tonight on a, on a Friday night. I know many of you will be listening to this on a Saturday or Sunday for your weekend podcast. But that is, uh, that's some of the news there that's unfortunate. Now, I don't know if that's been called prematurely. I don't know exactly where they're at with the votes. But I know as of yesterday, he was down, uh, Masters was down like five points. So um, that is kind of a bummer there. But, you know, make sure to, to write Mitch McConnell a little thank you note because, um, you know, he, uh, he famously or infamously refused to uh, help fund Blake Masters over the past few months, cut off all funding and decided to put funds elsewhere um, with other candidates, some of, some of whom, you know, might have won their races, I believe. Others didn't. But um, this is one case in a razor-thin potential Senate majority where uh, Mitch McConnell pulled funding from a guy who probably could have used some uh, commercial time, some airtime, TV time, and whatnot. He could have used those funds. And so thank Mitch McConnell. I think Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy also, to a certain extent, they're going to have a really hard time just waltzing into their coveted leadership positions this time. That story's been developing over the past day or two, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens there. Um, it looks like the Senate's running or going toward this runoff. Again, we all have to watch it for another several months. Well, we don't have to, but many people are going to be kind of anguished watching this over the next several weeks. I think December 6th is the runoff in Georgia. God forbid if that is the race that actually determines the Senate again. Um, you better get poll watchers and election watchers in every precinct there in Georgia. Atlanta, 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 Republicans there, if you learned your lesson at all. Um, so God forbid if it actually comes down to that. We'll see what happens in, in Nevada, but it looks like it's, it's probably going to go to that runoff because I think this Blake Masters thing, you know, is it looks like it's official tonight. I'm sorry to report, but thank you, Mitch McConnell. We really appreciate that. As far as the house, um, yeah, the house looks like that is really weird. I mean, it's going to be super tight. If there is a Republican majority, it's going to be, you know, some people are forecasting that it might be as low as 220 or 221. I mean, insanely tight. Now, it could end up being a little bit more than that, but it is not the red tsunami or the red wave that many of us thought might be coming. But a lot of people were just screaming and yelling that this is going to happen. And oh my gosh, the house is going to be incredible. Um, I think there are a lot of reasons potentially for that. But, um, you know, do watch these um, leadership races here in both the Senate and the House. Again, I don't think McConnell and McCarthy are just going to walk right into these. So elsewhere in California, more California-specific races... If we focus on Sacramento and districts around the state of California, 
Um, unfortunately, there, there are no Republicans or Libertarians or Independents winning statewide office so far. So again, it's the dominance of Democrats here in California. It's very annoying. It's frustrating. I don't know what people are thinking up and down the state. There was thinking that uh, maybe Lanhe Chen might be able to win statewide for the first Republican victory in many years. Right now, I believe even that's in doubt. I don't think that's that's looking good at this time. But you know, we have a lot of friends and acquaintances that were running for California's legislature, and you know, running through some of those assembly races. There are some really tight ones. Um, some interesting ones, a lot of Democrat versus Democrat races in the Central Valley even and uh, Bay Area and Southern California. And then there are some places too that we were hoping we would we would pick up some seats. I know there was Assembly District 38 with Cole Brocado. Um, they're still counting. There's still a lot of stuff happening down there in Ventura County. As of this recording, I think it looks like Bennett is unfortunately winning that race 60.8 to 39.2% for Cole Brocado. We're hoping that some late-breaking counted votes come in for for Cole. Just vote, bro. Um, We're still keeping our fingers crossed for Cole. In Assembly District 41 with our buddy Mike McMahon, unfortunately, it looks like at this time, I think it's 50 to 60% of the votes allegedly in or counted, Looks like Holden is at 58.7%. McMahon is down at 41.3%. We're going to be watching all these races closely. But, um, you know, again, we're disappointed to see these results, but we're keeping our fingers crossed that votes could could, uh, break our way. In District 42, it looks like Irwin is at 55% currently. And Lori Mills, who we spoke to just a few months ago, Lori Mills is at 45%. So that's a 10-point difference. Maybe, maybe um, we can close that gap. Uh, Our fingers are crossed for Lori. Assembly District 43, it looks like, unfortunately, Luz Rivas um, won 71% of the vote, and that race has been called against Siaka Masakoy. Another great candidate. We're we're disappointed to see that, uh, that the race did not go to Siaka down there in the San Fernando Valley. Um, down in San Diego, of course, uh, Corbin Sable, as of right now, is is down in that race. Um, Corbin's got about 38% of the vote, and I think it's Akila Weber is at um, around 62%. So we're hoping that that race turns around. I'm not sure how many votes or ballots are yet to come in or be counted, but this whole process is very frustrating. Right? It's very frustrating to sit around and wait as if we're Zimbabwe or a third world nation. And um, well, meanwhile, there are states, like I mentioned, like Florida, who can get the job done that night. That's a competently run state. That state went all red. Everyone's riding DeSantis's coattails. And it's not all Ron DeSantis. I'm sure there are some great candidates there in their own right. But it shows you what competent conservative leadership does. DeSantis went from a 0.4% margin to that meth head, uh, Andrew Gillum, what, three and a half, well, four years ago. And now, just the other night, a few nights ago, he won the state by 20. Republicans have super majorities in both houses of their legislature. And there are several districts that have been turned around and actually went Republican that were previously Democrat. So again, you can see what strong leadership and strong conservative governance actually does. Florida is a success story in its own right. So take note of that, people like Mitch McConnell and all of the kind of Republicrat establishmentarians who don't want to have loud, boisterous, or overly conservative, severely conservative candidates, as Mitt Mitt Romney might say. No, I mean, look what happens when you actually get a a brilliant, strong leader who is uh, well-spoken, and clear-headed in his approach. What you get is the DeSantis effect. And people are going to be talking about that for not only months to come, but, you know, in the next year as this primary unfolds at the presidential level. So elsewhere, just really quick, in Senate District 22, we are keeping our eyes on that one. Unfortunately, it looks like Rubio's at 56%. Tsai is at 44%. Um, District 16, this one's interesting up in the Central Valley, 
right in the middle of the state. Um, Shepard, the Republican newcomer, um, is up 51.7% to Hurtado at 48.3%. But again, I think only 50 to 60% of the ballots are counted there. So I'm not sure how that race is going to turn out. But um, there weren't a ton of flips that I'm aware of in terms of, um, you know, like great pickups, great gains. But yeah, as we just went through for the past few minutes, a lot of California's legislature, um, you know, both the assembly and Senate seats, they're just not even determined yet. So again, buckle up, you know, we got like several more days, God forbid if we have several more weeks, but we're going to determine, you know, where the Republicans, where the Democrats actually end up. And remember the big goal here in California was getting rid of the Democrats' awful statist grip on the legislature. We had to get rid of their supermajority. If we could get rid of that, then there's a little bit more maneuvering that can be done to avoid, you know, Newsom's awful agenda in the next few years. I mean, God forbid, four more years of this. Newsom with a, uh, a Democrat supermajority. I mean, the state is in flames. The state is going down with the crime, the drugs, the homelessness, uh, the, just the disaster. People are fleeing the state, losing population, losing house seats and such. Can California really withstand four more years of this um, completely, not mediocre, but atrociously negative, awful leadership? under Gavin Newsom. I don't think it can. People are not going to recognize the state after four more years of this. Plus, with Soros-backed DAs that we can't even recall and throw out of office, you know, people people can collect a million signatures. The judge is going to say, oh, no, we're, we're throwing out a million and one or whatever. It's incredible. It's absolutely amazing. And it's tragic for the once great golden state, which used to be a very well, well-run state. Um, very conservative, very libertarian-leaning state years and years ago. Um, and unfortunately now, it's we're crumbling. I mean, we got to do something here. And I think realistically, it's not exciting, but we need to just try to break that supermajority um, at, the, at the legislature level. And then at the local level, there are great candidates, candidates like Kira Davis, candidates like many of my friends and acquaintances who are running for school board positions, who are running for city council positions and whatnot. And those are all really important. In many cases, those can actually be more important than a far-off legislator in uh, Sacramento or Washington, D.C. So all of us should support local candidates, should get involved, and should run whenever and wherever we can um, and follow those races. A lot of those that I've been following um, have not even come in yet. All the votes can't be counted, even at the county, at the local level. I mean, it's pathetic. Um, I tried to check in on Kira Davis's race, and I'm not sure exactly where that's at. And I don't want to speak out of turn, but I tried to, to look it up on the Orange County um, elections website. And it looks like I think they're still counting ballots. I don't think most of these races at the local level have been called, at least many of them. So stay tuned. Um, Sorry to not have more answers. I know a lot of these California races are still up in the air. Um, not a great night in California. Um, some great people, it looks like, will probably be elected. But, you know, I've been disappointed that a lot of great people, um, it looks like, are having a tough uphill battle. Let's keep our fingers crossed. And we'll see what happens here in the next uh, week. Hopefully not two weeks. I mean, my God, how long do we have to sit here and wait? But we'll see. Um, we're going to see how it goes. We wish all of our friends, everyone that uh, has been a guest on this show, certainly, and all those great conservative and libertarian and independent-minded candidates around California, from the school board level, city council, up to the legislature, we wish them all well. And we're going to be watching those races. But uh, without too much more ado, without further ado, Let's get right into our discussion with Kira Davis, and let's check in there. Welcome back to the California Liberty Project podcast. My name is Greg. Thank you very much for downloading, for tuning in, um, even for watching on the brand new Rumble and brand new YouTube channels. So we're going to jump right in today. Um, my guest is uh, is very busy, as you might imagine. It is Kira Davis. Now, Kira Davis is someone that I've become familiar with uh, as far as her work. 
on Red State. I've heard her on the radio. You've, you've probably heard her. Maybe you listened to her podcast or one of her podcasts. And now she's running for school board down in Orange County. And we're going to talk about that here in a second. Um, so without further ado, Kira, thank you very much for taking time with us today. And um, welcome to the California Liberty Project. Thank you, Greg. It's my pleasure to be here. It's the day before election day that we're recording, and it's a very busy day, but it's my pleasure to take some time out and just talk to a a fellow Liberty lover here in the Golden State. Absolutely. Absolutely. So welcome. Welcome aboard. And thank you very much. Um, So please take a few minutes and tell us, you know, or take a few seconds Anything else there? I kind of just listed real, um, real high level stuff that I know about you, but we hadn't met before. Um, what, what did I leave out? What else do you want to tell our listeners about yourself? Well, I am a resident of Orange County, South Orange County. I am a transplant to California. I've been living here about 15 years. My family and I moved out here from Indiana for work many years ago. I'm the deputy managing editor of redstate.com. And um, I am also an independent contractor and opinion journalist. And I, as you said, I am a candidate for school board here in South Orange County, Capital Unified School District. It's the second largest school district in the state. And we've had all the same problems that every other school district has had in the nation for the last few years. So I threw my hat in the ring and I'm in the middle of my final day of, of campaigning here. How's everything looking? I mean, how has the race been going for you? Let, let's talk about that. I'm curious about what it's like to run for school board. It's brutal. It, it's brutal. <laughs> you know, you would think school board would be, you know, the nicest race. It's parents and moms and dads at school, but it's br- absolutely brutal. The unions have have outspent me 10 to 1 easy, um, and they've definitely stepped up their attacks. Uh, for a little while, they were following me around, but I haven't wow. seen my trackers in a couple weeks, actually. So Good I don't Lord. know what to make of that. Maybe they just don't want to pay them anymore to follow me around, or maybe they don't think they need to. It's hard to tell because we don't do polling um, in local yeah. races like this. However, uh, there are some really good signs. Enthusiasm is really high for my campaign. Everywhere I go, I'm talking to parents who are excited. I have a huge volunteer force, which that's always a great reflection of community enthusiasm for your campaign. And also um, Republicans uh, at the county level are polling far ahead of um, Democrats in most races. So that, oh, that always bodes well for the down ballot races as well. So I'm feeling good. I'm feeling strong. It's hard to make a prediction um, just because you never know if that union money is going to be enough, you know, is, is going to be the deciding factor. But I'll tell you that the unions have not been able to match our enthusiasm or our drive. That is for sure. That is awesome. And um, I'm up here in Kern County and I have a lot of friends, acquaintances and people running for local offices and various school school boards, school districts. And it, Kira, it just seems like there is so much energy and enthusiasm, just as you mentioned. I don't know about the money or the funding, certainly the unions on the other side of things. I, we know what they're up to. Yeah. But that that energy and enthusiasm uh, for liberty liberty lovers, for conservatives, for independents, it seems to be there this year for sure. Yeah, I think there are a lot of people who, I mean, it's COVID. I mean, you know, it, it's it was COVID. That that is the the tragic silver lining of COVID is that it put us all more in touch with what's going on at our local levels because. You know, Joe Biden, for all of his talk and bloviating and terrible management, um, he didn't close your school, right? Joe Biden didn't close your business. Joe Biden didn't close your church. That was all your local and state officials. And especially when it comes to school, that was your local officials. Your school board is, for lack of a better term, your localist um, form of government. And and so people are aware they're they're figuring it out like oh um when i needed help from these people these were the people that were actually keeping our lives shut down and we need to make sure that that never happens again so i am seeing enthusiasm and it's not just that republican voters seem to be enthused but democrat voters seem to be depressed as well Mm. right because there's not much for them to really go out 
and tout. I was watching a um, a clip. I think I don't know who. I think Dave Rubin shared it today, or uh, oh Frank Turk. Um, I can't remember. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. uh, I have campaign brain, by the way, Greg. So I'm like, sure. I'm feeling it. It's I, I know you're. It's cool. crazy busy for you. I totally get it. I totally get it. But I saw a clip today of some Republic, uh, excuse me, Democrat strategists on CNN yesterday, and they were one of the women. More power to her. To her credit, she said, "Look, you know, the Democrats are losing this election, and it's their fault. They have not." People have been telling them it's the economy, stupid, and they're not listening. They're talking about abortion. They're talking about other things. They're talking about oil, you know. But they're but everyone else is talking about the economy, and the Republican strategist said, "Yes, I agree with you. You know, the Democrats haven't done anything to solve problems." And she said, "Oh no, no, it's not a facts problem. It's a messaging problem. Democrats have facts on their side, but people just don't understand it because the Democrats aren't messaging properly." Right? That's what I said. I was like. Oh, these people, they're so like out to lunch. They're just so out of touch. She genuinely thinks that it's a messaging problem. You can't message someone's wallet. You know, when I'm paying $7 a gallon at the pump, that's not a messaging problem. That is a life problem. And there are a lot of Democrats out there who maybe don't want to vote for Republicans, but are just not going to vote at all. Yeah. And then you still have true believers, like you're saying, just the cultists who, who, I guess their answer is we're just going to cult harder no matter what. Right. <laughs> uh, I've seen even Politico is going to the mats with this. I think someone yeah. mentioned Politico like, oh, yeah, the generic congressional ballots. Uh, Dems are up by one. It's yeah. like, yeah. OK, good sure. luck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Good luck with that one. Yeah, no, it, of course, it's hopeful. But we see that every year. That's not anything different than this year. Sure. We see that every year in the election cycle, um, particularly when Dems are down, the media steps in. Right. Sure. And, the and Praetorian Guard, yeah. Rescue them. I think what's really going to be interesting, though, moving forward after this year, now that Elon's bought Twitter and um, Facebook is dealing with some lawsuits that are probably going to start bubbling up to the higher courts over the next few years when it comes to expression, um, I wonder how much this sort of thing is going to change moving into 2024 because the medium, the messaging mediums are changing, right? Yeah. So in 2020, we just were, we didn't have a chance because of all the censorship. Right. And I work at Red State and I could tell you horror story after horror story, information that we have that we could not share with you because it was just getting yanked as soon as we would put it out there. I mean, it, it, you think you know, but the depths of it is really, really um, shocking. Um, but Elon Musk is going to change everything, at least on Twitter. So that's one platform that's going to change. So the information is going to change into 24. And then we'll see if messaging really does matter. I think it does. Yes. And I think it'll matter for Republicans. Yeah. And I think to a certain extent, you're absolutely right. And um, the left seems to be losing home court advantage, at least on Twitter, right? And their brains are exploding. But yeah. you they're know, Meta's having problems. And- <laughs> yeah. They're like the meltdown is... Is it's actually humorous, right? It's, it's so beautiful. Humorous. Yeah, yeah, to see these people, they're so they have no self awareness at all. It's stunning. Like you yeah. know, they've just spent the last two years going, uh, uh, you know, you can't. We have to ban some people, and and we're just trying to do what's right and save the save democracy. And now that they're on the losing end of that, they're like, oh, this isn't fair one person shouldn't own this company. It should be socialized. You know, uh, suddenly what they want to speak freely about, which by the way, nobody has is stopping them. And that's, what's amazing. Their definition of, of not being free is somebody else being able to talk at the same time. Having an opposing viewpoint just to talk back to them. Yeah. That's literally their definition of, of oppression and they're just losing their minds over it. So even if, you know, even if Elon, Elon can't work out the Twitter thing, maybe it just goes away or turns into something different. I don't know. I don't care. It's been worth it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't fully, I don't fully trust Elon, but I think, Hey, it's great. If he's kicking Kathy Griffin off and then trolling yeah. her, you know, I'm fine with that. Right. I'm happy right there. Well, Elon's a businessman and that is yeah. fine. I mean, that yeah. that's great. I don't, again, new, first of all, everybody, be wary of idolizing people, right? Like I see conservatives do this with 
Kanye West, you know, and Ben Shapiro has said this before, but you live by the Kanye, you die by the Kanye. Yes. And I mean, he's finding that out more <laughs> than he probably wanted to know lately. But, um, but the whole point of that statement is that, look, the, all of these people are, they're just people. They have their own agendas. And a lot of these people aren't even, you know, Elon Musk isn't a conservative. No, um, no. But that's the great thing about conservative politics. Um, we don't need everyone to be conservatives in order for them, those politics to work for America. All we that's need right. is for people to be free. And then right. the message will move the voters. And it does when they're allowed to get it. Yes, that's right. Kira, let me ask you, um, because you mentioned coming from Orange County, I saw, and correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, but Orange County, I think the Board of Supervisors just this past week voted to authorize or to approve some new state of emergency on RSV. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? And if so, what's going on with that? Could that percolate down to schools in South Orange County or anywhere? Absolutely. So um, we've had a research, we've had a resurgence of respiratory illness here in the county. This is unsurprising. It's actually sweeping through my daughter's school right now. Um, two years of putting our immune systems on hold. Um, it's going to have impact for quite a while. We're supposed to be out about sharing germs with each other. It's very necessary. Right. And we haven't been doing that. So our immune systems are are working to get up to speed again. And I'm not sure that they've been helped by this vaccine or at least the boosters. Yeah. So we're working against that, but the orange County board of supervisors is, is led by Democrats right now. Oh, uh, we're working boy. to change that. And um, I think they're just trying to get in some last minute strongholds before the election in case they lose. But this is, we knew this was coming. Newsom has said he wasn't going to let go of the state of emergency powers until 2023 until February, which I doubt it. He'll even do that then, but it's all for this. Now that they know that so many Californians are willing to lock themselves down in the name of the greater good. um, They intend to use every sickness as a state of emergency. Um, There are some school districts in the state who fully intend after elections to bring back those masks for cold and flu season and just make them regular, um, regular parts of the landscape every cold and flu season. So there are some people who are really, this has become like a crack epidemic, right? They've just become addicted to this power and they can't let it go. So they got to flex it wherever they can. The good news is that people are outraged and I don't know how that, I think it was a move. It was a money move because you get some more funds if you're in an emergency. right? Right. So I don't know how many people are going to comply with it anymore. Uh, but I can tell you that I'm running for my school board to make sure that our school district will never comply with that awesome. ridiculousness. So no more lockdowns. I assume you're totally anti-lockdown, anti-forced uh, yes. vaccination, no. of course. No to everything. Yes. Are <laughs> no. they trying to, are they actually trying to push an RSV vax? I mean, I've heard rumblings of this from around the state. I mean, are they that insane or that cultist where yeah. they would go there? Well, they're that greedy because all of that comes with money, contracts, Right. Um, The teachers union is actually heavily invested in Pfizer and Moderna, um, heavily invested to the tunes of hundreds of millions of dollars. Hmm. So that's and um, I did early on in the pandemic, I did dig into some of the CTA, uh, the California Teachers Association's portfolio. Now, granted, portfolios are wide and they cover a whole array of things that you don't even know about. You and I have the same thing, even if you have a tiny one. But one of the things that they were invested in was a company, a Chinese company that provides medical um, accessories like masks. So you follow the money. There's a lot of incentive for Democrat groups to push lockdowns and states of emergencies. Um, And it's just going to be up to the people to say no. And again, I'm running to say no, absolutely not. No mandates, no lockdowns, no closures, and no on teachers being the final decision makers when it comes to education um, Mm -hmm. outcomes in the classroom. Parents need to be involved in that process too. 
And um, if I win this seat, the unions lose a seat on our school board. And that's one of the reasons why they're pushing really, really hard against me in these final days. Like, it's been brutal. And that's why we're rooting for people like yourself and hundreds of others around the state to uh, to take away that union uh, spot at the table, or at least that slot at the school board. Um, let me ask you about CRT here mm-hmm. also. I know CRT blew up, critical race theory. You know, a decade ago, there were only a few kind of um, theorists and philosophers who kind of knew what it was, right? CRT now has been fully branded and it kind of um, became almost like a no child left behind or it became like a, um, you know, one of these like watchwords, right? That now we all know of. And it's really bad and it's awful. It's a way to shoehorn left left wing ideologies into schools. Is it now radioactive enough, Kira, where we're going to get away from outright CRT or has what I'm worried about here and tell me what you think is, has it been kind of Trojan horsed into other things? Like people are now talking about SEL, social, social and emotional learning Mm -hmm. and other things like that. Do we have to now watch a bunch of other things that Mm -hmm. CRT might've been shoehorned or snuck into? Yeah, no, they thought they were going to get away with just doing the CRT thing, but we noticed, right. And then we didn't just notice we educated ourselves on what it was. And as a matter of fact, if any of you out there in the listening audience would like a primer on CRT and explainer, I have, uh, I've done, I think I did two episodes of my podcast on it. Um, my podcast is just listen to yourself with Kira Davis. Mm-hmm. And you can find that anywhere, but I did two explainer podcasts. I try to break it down in a way that you can simplify it because it is a very complicated, it's not meant for schools. It's meant for college level, you know, sure. discussion and, and so it's really hard for people, regular average people to discuss what CRT is. You know it when you see it, but you don't know how to explain it. So I help right. you with that if you're looking for something to, to help you sort of express what it is. But because CRT has become such a flashpoint and they didn't expect it, again, um, they do they have shifted, right? It's now turned into social emotional learning. But the way it gets Trojan horsed into your school isn't in curriculum so much. Mm. Sometimes you'll get lucky enough to find a, a outright curriculum point, but mostly yeah. it, it comes to you in the form of teacher trainings and staff mm. trainings, right? So they have, they hire these um, uh, critical race theory based, um, what do you want to call them? Uh, social emotional consultants. Yeah, it, consultants. They, yeah, yeah we, we pay them $30,000, $40,000. They come in, they run a teacher training. And in the training, they, they outline, here's how you treat, here's how you ask kids their pronouns. Here's how you keep parents out of the loop so they don't get alarmed when you're teaching about LGBT issues. Here's some books that you can donate. Like here's ways that you can get these books into the classroom without the school board seeing them you know if somebody donates the books they don't have to get reviewed by the school board stuff uh-huh. like that here's how you deal with lgbt kids here's how you deal with girls who complain about transgender boys in their bathrooms you know they yeah. have all of this stuff so it never really comes to you in this like nice neat little package it's coming to you in the forms of training your the people you're supposed to trust with your child's heart body and education in the classroom, it, it trains those people to treat your child as an activist or an activist in training, or um, these days, a transgender child in training. And um, it's very deliberate and it's yeah. deliberately sneaky. So yeah, you do have to watch out. And um, some of this stuff, if you don't know what CRT is, it might look like, oh, okay, this is nice, but you need to be on the lookout for the buzzwords, And you need to be seeing what's going on at your school board meetings because that's where these trainings get um, voted for and approved. Very good. Very good. Um, Let me ask you too, because you're probably really up on this. I would imagine probably more knowledgeable than myself, but in our audience here, you know, I know that we've been looking out for July, 2023, as early as that date, I think Newsom said he could basically bring back the mandate. Um, at least for, I believe, approved vaccines. And it all gets a little bit technical with what's actually been approved versus right. what's not approved, right? Mm-hmm. But are are you worried about that? Or is that something you're up on? Are we going to see mandates for next school year as far as vaccines? Or are they really going to try to play this out through the legislature um, starting in January of next mm-hmm. year? 
Yeah, no, they're going to they're going to keep pushing this until the voters tell them, no, I'll tell you, Greg, a lot's going to change after tomorrow. Right. Their strategy for because if it's a bloodbath in the state and keep in mind that a bloodbath in California for politics looks a little different than it does across. If it's just not an overwhelming majority for Democrats, you know, that's our version. Yeah. Take away their super majority. Right. Right. That's like our big spike the football touchdown moment. That's right. But I think at the local levels, we're going to see a lot of city councils and school boards flip over. And then that's going to probably be a predictor for Newsom at the top. Right. Like, am I going to, just be made to look a fool the way that Huntington Beach and Newport made him look like a fool during the COVID lockdowns and they refused to comply and they really made him look like a tyrant. And, yeah. um, and, and like how he just punished them um, discriminately. And uh, we're going to see, I think a shift if we see some of the local races shift so that they might not come down so hard because they don't want to risk future elections. They don't want to risk 24. They don't want to risk their super majority. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. Of course, no bad idea goes away with the Democrats in Sacramento. It just goes, you know, they just put different lipstick on it and give it a new name and shove it back out there. Like, of <laughs> course they want mandates. Of course they do. Yeah. I do not believe that a vaccine mandate will stand. I do not believe a COVID vaccine mandate. I do not believe it will withstand a court challenges. At some point, it's going to bubble all the way up to the Supreme Court and there we'll get a win. Um, I also know that I have absolutely no intention of allowing our school district to comply with any mandates. And if we flip our board, I have every intention of suing the state on behalf of our district. That's awesome. That's really good to hear. And, and I know that a lot of us are really worried about what comes out of radical districts like Scott Wiener. Nobody thinks that he's, it's like he almost took it personal. I, I think a lot of people oh, yeah. worry about that. We defeated him mm-hmm. in SB 866, but a lot of people are worried about, oh boy, in the new year, he's going to come back with a vengeance. And I, the big question, let me ask you this really quick, is if Newsom gets back in there, um, obviously he's probably thinking that he wants to be the Democrat nominee. Is he going to moderate? I've heard a school of thought where he might quote moderate a little bit. Um, or is he going to, is he just going to keep the pedal to the floor and, and keep punishing us, Kira, in your opinion? Newsom is the thing about Newsom is that he is not an ideologue at all. He is just a, really an empty suit politician. I have it on good authority from some people who know him personally, that he's actually more conservative than people think but he just is also a politician and he just wants to win and unfortunately the progressive the extremist progressive wing of the democrat party has taken over and so that's the base now and he's gonna have to cater to them so would he like to moderate i think he would and i think he knows how to moderate that's how he ran for mayor of san francisco he actually had a decent platform when he ran for mayor of San Francisco. I know plenty of Republicans who voted for him in San Francisco because he had a, a really decent plan for dealing with the homeless, which was enforcement and and mental health services, like all the stuff we say needs to be done. But then he didn't do any of it, right? Because that's not where the lobbyist money comes from. It comes from the extremist, the homeless lobby and the people who want all that stuff to yeah, right. keep going. So could he moderate? Gavin Newsom absolutely has it within him to moderate. Please do not assume he is not an ideologue. I don't think he stands for anything. He literally is an empty suit. So he'll do what he has to do in order to, to win. And that's how he's been this successful so far. That being said, does the California message translate to the rest of the country? I mean, we've already seen how it worked with Kamala. And I mean, it's not going too well. What happens when she has to face um, like a slightly hostile press? She just melted. And yeah. I actually think Newsom's going to do the same. Well, Kamala is still putting together a Venn diagram on how to deal with the press, I think, uh, <laughs> or whatever. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to grab my popcorn, though, because I know she has no intention of going quietly into the night. This is going to be fascinating, then, if it's going to be Californian on Californian political rivalry for uh, for 2024. It will be. It, they don't like each other. They used to be buddy-buddy for a lot of reasons that are... yeah. You know, that are rumors here in this state, but they don't like each other anymore. And half the party doesn't like Kamala and half the party doesn't like Newsom. So and Biden's getting tossed. It it appears that way. But uh, Biden is like not even in the equation. Like no one cares. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. he's like yesterday's news. Right. He's out like Hunter. 
Um, well, Kira, it's it's been uh, been great chatting with you. I know you know we're going to keep this quick to respect your time. Yeah, um, you're you. on the campaign trail, or maybe you just need some rest or have some more events today. Um, but uh, we wish you the best of luck. We hope Thank that you, you. Uh, you're successful in your election. You get in there and just uh, really tear things up metaphorically. Um, good luck well, with everything. Thank you, Greg. And I hope you'll invite me back so we can do a postmortem. Absolutely. The election. I'd love to come back. I, I frankly, I love the idea. What made me say yes to your request for interviews is that you were a California-based podcast. And I think California news is really national news. And anybody who's willing to step up and, and make sure that folks are informed about what's happening here in the state, I'm all for it. So I'm already a big fan of the podcast and good luck. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for your time. Yeah. When you're starting up a new podcast, it's great to get guests such as yourself. And I really appreciate your time. Um, before you go, what, what would you like people to, everyone should be following you. Um, for those who don't, where can they follow your work one more time, Kira? Well, follow me on Twitter at Real Kira Davis. That's where I have everything. And if you're interested in the school board race, you can go to Instagram at Kira for F-O-R, Kira for school board. You can go to Kira for school board.org to find out about the the race and how that's going. And honestly, if you just Google my name, a lot of stuff is going to come up. I am not the Kira Davis, who is the Hollywood producer. There is, believe it or not, there's a very famous Hollywood producer named Kira Davis. And she's not a conservative, I'm guessing? I don't know. (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) I mean, she's in Hollywood. She works with Hugh Jackman. Um, they're, they're like production partners a lot. So I get, I always know when Hugh Jackman's doing a new movie cause her name starts coming up in the Google alerts. Nice. Very nice. Yeah. Well, Kira, uh, best of luck. Yeah. And we hope to have you back on as a guest, um, spend more time breaking things down here in California. Thanks yeah. very much. Best of luck to you. Thank you, Greg. I hope to come back as a winner. Awesome. We <laughs> we're, we're sure that'll be the case. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Greg. Awesome. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. This has been the California Liberty Project Podcast. Make sure to subscribe, share it with others, and follow us on Instagram and Twitter.